we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. True Crime on A&E, with groundbreaking original shows like The First 48, Cold Case Files, Accused, Guilty or Innocent, and American Justice. No one brings you closer. Groundbreaking True Crime, every Thursday and Friday on A&E. Geography has a sense of humor. When we were kids, we all loved listening to uh, the Johnny Cash Family Christmas album. Silent nights, that means Christmas to some people. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, that means Christmas to some people. This is not to be confused with Johnny Cash classic Christmas or the Christmas spirit. I'm, I'm talking about the album where it sounds like the whole family, June Carter, Carl Perkins, Mother Maybell, Tommy Cash are all sitting around the parlor telling stories, singing songs. Many of the tales come from the cast of characters' early lives growing up in the Blue Ridge, Appalachia. And I probably pronounced that wrong. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Teresa and my brother, um, Andre, and I, we, we used to love that album and imitating those hillbilly hicks, or so we thought. Now, I'm living in the shadow of the... Blue Ridge Mountains, and I've become one of them. It must have been coming for many months, maybe maybe even years, to get to the place where that new star that was to hang over that manger in the town of Bethlehem, 10 miles from Jerusalem. Toward the end of the record, when, when everything is winding down, Johnny Cash asks if anyone else has anything to add and outsteps... Lou DeWitt to deliver an absolute showstopper, an old-fashioned tree, simple solo acoustic guitar, under two minutes and barely one verse. It's one of my favorite. Um, thought about that, and here we are at the end of the year. I guess is there anything else I have to add? So this is kind of my Lou DeWitt moment. This is who killed Teresa. That shone in candlelight In the window Where neighbors all could see How we kept our Christmas merry and bright I love the evenings we trim the tree and then we'd all sing carols and pledge goodwill to men every year it's just an old-fashioned tree 
That brings all the joy of Christmas to me. We're going to talk today about the 1962 Montreal Santa Claus holdup murders. And I'm a bit surprised no one has covered this uh, before because a lot of the stories um, in the public domain, uh, it's really the kind of material that I think either the podcast heist would do, but they haven't, or it reminds me kind of like a, a dark poutine uh, podcast or um, um, the nighttime podcast, um, our friend there in Halifax, but none of them have covered it. There are a number of interesting uh, Santa Claus holdup capers, and there are some podcasts on it, but they're they're different affairs. They're not Quebec. Um, they're things that took place like in the 30s or the 50s in um you know, in the Midwest or something, um, but not a lot of coverage. I don't want to, and some, boy, when you when you go canvassing, trying to find out if somebody's going to do something you've done, that, that can be some dark territory, man. I'm, um, there's there's some podcasts out there, and, and I'm not talking about anybody we know. Don't get me wrong. But there's some podcasts out there that sound like, I, for, for seriously, they sound like they were they were created by a bot, or something. They're just so rigid and lacking in any harder personalities, really. Um, but that's not what I'm, I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the the Santa Claus uh, murders. Um, and as I said, you know, I wasn't at first going to cover this because it seemed obvious and I thought somebody else would do it. But um, it actually, in, in looking at it, it complements what we've been talking about quite nicely. You know, I think I think at some point in earlier I had said that um about geography that places our characters and stories. Um and in uh in this instance we it, it, this case covers a lot of the places we've talked about the the Bordeaux prison and um um you know, it references the last public uh, hanging at the old prison uh, down by the Jacques Cartier Bridge, and there are coroner's warrants. Uh, there's the whole freeway system plays into it in Montreal. So um, it's kind of a good ending for the year, and um, um, certainly if you've listened all along, uh, a lot of it will be familiar to you, not the case itself, but the landscape, uh, the geography, will um, will ring a bell. I'll begin by straight up saying that the story today is taken from a Maclean's article written in the aftermath of the the events, about six months after the perpetrators were caught, um, called The Search for Montreal's Santa Claus Bandits, Canada's Greatest Manhunt, by Tim Burke, 
June 1st, 1963. And you can go online and you can read the whole article. Um, but it's a long-form piece. It's very, very good. Um, so for those who don't like to to read, today I'm largely going to be basing it on this, if not quoting directly uh, from it. So kudos to Tim Burke, who I someone told me is still alive and living in in Montreal. Um, this is 63, so uh, over 50 years uh, have passed. Um, he's a longtime reporter, also the Montreal Star, Montreal Gazette, and then with McLean's as, as well. Step by step through the biggest police search in Canada's history. How Montreal detectives ran the hunt for last winter's vicious Santa Claus bandits. At 11.14, on the morning of December 14th last year, three men entered the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce branch at 6007 Côte-de-Liès Road in the Montreal suburb of Saint-Laurent, Within five minutes, they had scooped up $142,000 in cash, bonds, and traveler's checks, killed two policemen, and escaped unhurt. The murders touched off the greatest manhunt in Montreal's, and probably Canada's, police history. The police began with little more than a fair description of one of the suspects, a description of the getaway car, and some mannerisms of the trio at the scene, especially the one who masqueraded as Santa Claus. Before it concluded, some 2,500 people had been taken in for questioning. Hundreds of dwellings, nightclubs, gambling dens, and restaurants had been raided. A record $25,000 reward had been posted by the banks for information leading to the arrest of the killers. Another $20,000 had been collected for the families of the dead policemen. And several outbreaks of violence and bloodshed resulted directly or indirectly from the unrelenting police pressure. Saint-Laurent is a predominantly French-Canadian municipality uh, of then 52,000 people. Uh, I mean, that's where that, that's how it's characterized in 62. Obviously, things have changed, but this is for, from a 1962-63 perspective. And then it, it's sprawled over eight square miles between northwest Montreal and um, the International Airport, the uh, Dorval Airport. Since the war, new plants and office buildings had been um, spreading over what had been farmland, pasture land. And the main street through what is an industrial sector to this day is Cote de Lies. Um There's the highway, Highway 40, um, kind of parallels Cote, Cote de Lies. Um Highway 40 was newly built then, um, and in some portions of Highway 40, it's Highway 40 is the 401. If you're in Canada, it's what connects east to to west. Um, and in some sections of it, it's named after uh, Felix Leclerc. It's called the 
Felix Leclerc auto route. Anyway, um, Cote d'Alias is um, like a four-lane boulevard. Uh, and the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce at uh, 6007 Cote d'Alias occupied a corner of this low, long building um, housing also some offices um, and a plant of the uh, transparent paper products company. You can still, if you do a Google, Google search, see what was the the bank at that time and looks like a strip mall really there's now an ikea in the back of it um if 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 you remember the craft you know craft foods the for years i think they took it down but for years along um the auto route very prominent marker was the craft sign this neon deco sign you definitely know what i'm talking about um, which, if you were coming west, was the the sign. It, you know, it was just before um, the Kerry Circle. Anyway, this um, at that time, this location was a, a holdups holdup man's dream. Uh, as I said, four miles west is Dorval Circle, um, which is like a transportation hub. Dorval Circle is where um, where the airport. And the uh, the the train, uh, transcontinental train, and Dorval Station is, and um, the highway, Highway Forty, all converge um, just at the boundaries um, uh, there at Saint Laurent. And one mile east of the branch is De Carey Circle, um, which kind of defines the boundaries of Saint Laurent. And the town of Mount Royal, they kind of meet there. It's um, Dickerry was, and I believe to this day, is the largest confluence of roads in the city. You'd know it very well because if you're trying to get anywhere in Montreal, uh, uh, you'll all roads eventually lead to Dickerry, and that's if you've experienced traffic congestion. Well, <laughs> experienced traffic congestion anywhere in Montreal these days, but for a while there. And, you know, the Carey Circle, which is, as I say, just a mile from where this bank was, um, you know, that juncture leads everywhere. If if you continue east along from the Carey Circle to um, um, along Highway 40, you'll sort of ru- start running parallel to Henri Barassa and you'll be taken to the uh, Philippe Penel Institute if you continue um Kind of southish, that will take you to the Champlain Bridge. Um, cross the bridge, you're in the eastern townships. West is the the West Island where I grew up, and north um, along, I believe, uh, Highway 15 will take you past the Bordeaux Prison, and then Laval, and then off the island. So it is this this area of confluence. Um. um that that bank at at six thousand and seven had been robbed three times in nineteen sixty two, in June for twenty four thousand dollars, in October for thirty five hundred dollars, and then then on the Santa Claus holdup on Friday, December fourteenth. The Saint Laurent police force had been 
been plagued by false alarms. There have been no fewer than 400 false alarms uh, in the past year. And um, on the day of the, the day before the Santa Claus murders, uh, the police chief had been complaining about the frequency of accidental tripped alarms, uh, saying that uh, someday he warned a group of colleagues um, uh, that someone is was liable to uh, be off guard and get hurt if an alarm, um, a, a real alarm, was sounded. And on the day of the murders, two constables reported being laughed out of a Toronto Dominion bank just down the road from the Cote d'Elias branch for walking into a false alarm with their their guns drawn. On Friday afternoon, uh, Robert Zavitz Holmes, manager of the Imperial Commerce Bank, was alone in his office going through some correspondence. Um, and he's described as a man with a wry sense of humor and with a paralyzed right arm. Um, he uh, resigned himself to expect the unexpected on Friday. Um, and uh, both previous holdups had occurred on a Friday. And his remark to his senior accountant was, I feel we are due for another. That Friday, December 14th, 1962, was a payday. And employees from nearby companies were already that morning trickling in to cash their checks. Um, And the branch was busy. And since there was little time to grab lunch, um, a 17-year-old teller named uh, Robert uh, Jutras, the youngest employee at the branch, um, he was sent down the street to pick up uh, sandwiches for his colleagues. The holdup began as hundreds of robberies do every year. The first man inside the bank, wearing a hood and brandishing a rifle, shouted in English, Hold up! Everyone lie on the floor, face down! He posted himself outside the manager's office. A second hooded man turned left, went behind the counter, and headed for the teller's cages. Then in swaggered Santa Claus, wearing sunglasses, pacing up and down the middle of the bank, shouting threats and obscenities, and waving an FN-308 semi-automatic rifle. As the man behind the counter entered the first cage, teller Madeleine Laframbois tripped the alarm. The man, breathing heavily, stuffed $2,600 from her drawer into a pillowcase. He tried another cage, but the door was locked. Jutras had locked it when he left for the sandwiches. He got into a third, but this time the drawer was locked. He began groping around in confusion. Santa Claus, watching his hapless partner, became irritated. He brushed past his other accomplice into the manager's office, pointing his machine gun at Robert Holmes, shouting, Do you want to obscenity well live? 
<laughs> we'll stop there because in 1963 you couldn't use that language, but we'll gloss over it. We'll just use the language. Do you want to fucking well live? Yes, I do, replied the manager. I'm fed up fucking around with the tellers. Back into the vault. Get going. I know there's plenty of money around here. It's payday. With the gunmen crowding them menacingly, both Holmes and Wishart managed to turn their respective halves of the safe combination on the first try. Santa Claus grabbed a bag containing $3,800 out of one compartment and said to teller Sandra Ellison, Here, sweetheart, give me your key. He dumped the money into a satchel and then picked up some bundles of bonds and traveler's checks. The man with the rifle, who had taken over as lookout in the absence of Santa Claus, came hurrying into the vault, pleading anxiously, Hurry up! You're taking too long! I'm not leaving this time till I get it at all, snarled Santa Claus. The other man cursed, ran back to the door, and shouted, The police are coming! Constables Claude Marino and Denis Brabant, both in their early 30s, were breaking in a new police ambulance when the alarm registered in the police station. They weren't required to answer any calls, just test the ambulance. They decided to go out to Côte de Liesse and give it a highway test. Both were big men, six-footers weighing more than 200 pounds, This was to have been Constable Marino's day off. But when a Christmas shopping tour with his wife and three children had been postponed, he changed it to Saturday and came to work. They heard the police radio dispatcher, Lucien Laporte, instruct the police cruiser patrolling that sector to answer the bank alarm. The cruiser was a good deal farther from the scene, than they were, and besides, the address 6007 Côte de Liesse struck a sentimental note with Marino. He was born in the farmhouse, which once stood on the site of the Imperial Commerce Bank. Over the radio set, he interjected, We're closer. We'll take it. As the officers drove into the parking lot, the man who had spotted their approach was throwing a hag of loot into a white Oldsmobile in front of the bank. Santa Claus stepped out of the bank, turned right, walked a few feet until he was standing outside the doorway of the transparent paper company. Claude Hibert, president of this firm, who was chatting inside the doorway with his sales manager, opened the door to make way for the jolly old fellow. The unsmiling figure failed to notice. As the ambulance pulled up some 60 feet from the bank, the bandits opened fire on it. The detonation sent office workers on the second floor scurrying from their desks to the front windows. Three people standing in the parking area ducked for cover. Bullets tore through the ambulance from the undercarriage to the roof. 
It's a real hold-up, Marino gasped over the radio. He jumped from the driver's seat, firing. He was shot in the chest and killed instantly. His body crumbled against the rear left wheel of the ambulance, a few feet from where he was born. From the passenger's side, Constable Brabant rushed into the line of fire, and a bullet tore into his right thigh. He fell between a red truck and a car, groaning. Santa Claus crouched and fired repeatedly at Brabant, shooting underneath the truck which stood between himself and the constable. Then, as the petrified faces in the windows looked on, he sprang round the truck, stood over the prone policeman, and continued firing. Metal jacket bullets tore through the officer's body. An hour later, Constable Brabant, father of three, had bled to death. After the first fusillade outside, the lookout man had turned and raced back into the bank shouting, Get out! to the bewildered third bandit. Carbine shells scattered from his hand as he ran into a kitchenette at the rear of the bank. He smashed two panes of glass with his gun and leapt to the ground through the Venetian blinds, then raced across the fields at the back. The third man rushed out the front door and revved up the getaway car. As Santa Claus fired a few more shots under the ambulance at the lifeless form of Constable Marino. Santa Claus then jumped into the car as it drove through the one empty space at the end of the parking lot next to the bank and into the field. The roaring car almost capsized on a pile of crushed rock as it swung onto the road. Two police cars arrived on the scene within a minute, followed shortly by several others. The hunt started almost immediately.
Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed.